It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Let me bring your own head, beat it up, and I've seen that no sheets. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down, I fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury, get down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. That's right, dark-hearted old Dr. Bones here, along with the angel of light, <laughs> Nurse Amy, and this is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a lost land of liberty in a licentious world. I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy. I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's right. And together we are the gang of two, the prodigious pair, the beauty and the beast. <laughs> Although I'm not so beautiful anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a frantic ferret? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings, no contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. For entertainment purposes only, are you not entertained? <laughs> hmm. Well, modern medicine, that is a magical marvel in modern times, sure enough. But what if a disaster happens and the ambulance is heading in the other direction? Somebody's got to deal with injuries and illnesses when the rescue helicopters are not on the horizon. And that someone might just be you. So show me and the world that you've got what it takes to get some and get some training and education. While you're at it, by the way, get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by yours truly, an old country doctor, <laughs> and hers truly, an advanced, modern, registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff. 
I dare you, or just ask someone who's ever bought one, and you'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. Our kits are approved for your health savings account, too. Don't forget that. Hey, you know what? We learn as much from you guys as you do from us. That is so sadly obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Don't listen to a word we say. Oh, oops. Actually, I'm not supposed to say that. But why not connect with the geezer and the goddess? It's so easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Well, you can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Facebook page you should like and follow. That one you will get all the news directly all from. All the news. <laughs> That's Doom and Bloom. Facebook, Doom and Bloom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy. Wow. And also our other podcast all about current events, American Survival Radio, broadcast from several wonderful land-based radio stations throughout the U.S. of A., all the way from... Pennsylvania to Oregon, that's for sure. Hey, and don't forget about KYH Radio in Utah, which carries this podcast, The Survival Medicine Hour. We hope you'll listen in as we educate and edutain you, edutain you, that is, (laughs) on the marvelous miracle of modern and Mesozoic, at least in my case. That's the age (laughs) of dinosaurs. Medicine, well... Let's see what's in the news here. Ebola, Ebola, the epidemic disease, broke out where it's endemic. That means where it's commonly expected to originate in the Democrat, Democratic Republic of Congo. And guess what? It appears to be gone or just about Yay. ready to go. No new cases that were identified awesome. until actually until one fresh one was identified yesterday. But that's just one. And, you know, I'll tell you that Congo and the World Health Organization have been an on top of the latest outbreak, like white on rice, the over a thousand contacts of the 38 known cases have been vaccinated. Experimental concoction is being used that apparently has been showing promise, and hopefully that will control whatever Absolutely. outbreak may occur there. That's the ninth outbreak in that area, and so it is where this kind of virus likes to show up and do its damage. The strain of For the, unknown reasons, though. Right. Why there? Do you I, think it, it's that bat? I mean, we, we talked about yes, their I, diet. I totally believe that. It is a reservoir for a fruit bat that lives in the area. When I say the, the fruit bat is a reservoir, uh, what I'm saying is, is that the virus lives in the bat. Sure. doesn't make the bat sick. But things that eat bats and don't, don't cook them, I guess, well... Will like wind up could wind up getting sick, and that could be wow. things like um, primates or humans. humans. If they, you know, if they don't cook things well, that really can get you really can get yourself in so trouble. So, in other words, what you're saying is, don't eat um, uncooked bats. Bat, bat yes. sushi. No, we have a term for it. It's called bat sushi. Oh, <laughs> don't yeah. eat bat, fresh bat sushi is probably not something you should order in the restaurants there. Absolutely. The strain of the Ebola virus is causing cases in that country have about a 50 to 60 percent death rate. So Ugh. no bats on the menu Yikes. for you in the next uh, next few days. Well, you know, school is out at the gra- and a great way to teach your family survival basics is by taking them camping. Yay! Maybe not in the Congo. <laughs> but, no, no. But at your local there. national park, perhaps. There are beautiful places in this country to go visit. So many. Beautiful parks. And we are going to be in a number of them. Yes, we are. Do you know where we're going to be? 
Uh, we're going to be near Big Sky, Montana. That's right. We're going to be in, doing a class in Bozeman. We'll be also going to the Wilderness National Medical Conference there uh, in Big Sky. Yep. And that's going to be at the end of July. I think there's a couple other parks around there, too, that right. we can see. Right. And our class is going to be in early August, so you can August check that 4th. out at classes at... Uh, August 4th. August 4th uh, at store. Well, be specific this time. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> at, at our classes page over at doomandbloom.net. We're also going to be in a number of other... How about we're going to be at home? We're going to be home? Yeah, we're doing... For the doing... July 14th yes. survival medicine class. It's right? an eight-hour class. It's going to be at our warehouse, and you can find that information on the doomandbloom.net medical classes page. There's just a tab at the top that says classes, push on that, and you'll see actually all three of these. So we have July 14th in Weston, Florida. We have August 4th in Bozeman, Montana. And the third one, which I don't think we've mentioned yet, is also near a national park. The, the Smoky Great Mountain. Smoky Mountains National Park. Yep, and that is in Kodak. No, I, I always say that wrong. Kodak, Tennessee. It is Kodak, though, yep. right? <laughs> but it's spelled a little bit differently. C, uh, C, K O D A K. No, that is actually how the, Kodak. how the camera company spells Kodak. Oh, if that's what you're talking. There is an Alaska well, town it's been called so Kodiak. Long. There's an Alaska town called Kodak. I don't think Kodak even exists anymore. Do they? No, I don't think so. Anyway, I really don't. So that one is on October twentieth. And they're, all three of those are one-day classes all day long. Um, the two of them that are not in my warehouse are, uh, one of them's in a Hampton Inn. <laughs> so it's very nice hotels. Sounds good to me. Hey, I am re-recording a portion of the show <laughs> right now. It Sadly. was at this moment that we had a lightning strike, and it actually... Knocked out. Totally messed up. The right. Microphone. Totally ma- messed up our microphone, and we had static for wait, about we thirty sound, minutes. Wait, Twenty. Wait, wait, hold on. We sound. I can't do the sound. We sound like this. Right. It like, actually sounds like we're aliens. Right. Like we're buzzing or like insect aliens from the planet <laughs> Mongo. Insect aliens. <laughs> I know. Isn't that isn't that crazy? And so, thanks to John Wesley Smith for. Our good friend for warning us Who I just that this him. actually happened. It didn't look like I know it like didn't. it on the actual recording. I have no idea why. And the, thank but you so then much. it fixed itself after 32 minutes. Right. So it, I don't know. Somehow about between 10 and 32 two minutes. minutes. So anyhow, right. we are re-recording. We're this trying <laughs> this portion of the show, and this portion of the show is about backcountry safety. School's out, you know, and it's a great time to teach your family some survival basics by taking them out into the backcountry, doing a little camping maybe, maybe not in the areas where they have Ebola right now in the Congo, but at your local national park. You know that the skills that are needed for successful camping, they are very close to those that are required for the activities of daily survival if something bad happens. So, It's important to learn these things, and once learned, these lessons last a lifetime. There's really no greater gift that you can give your family, and especially the young people in your family, than the ability to be self-reliant in an austere setting. Camping trips, these things create bonds and memories that last a lifetime, but a poorly planned campout 
can become memorable in a way you really don't want it to be, especially <laughs> if somebody bad... here comes in injured. It's called yeah, it's called bad memory, Sonny. <laughs> that's right. That's Remember right. Remember that terrible... time you broke your leg? Yeah, that terrible camping trip we had. <laughs> Remember when you burned your hand on the campfire? I know. Oh my gosh. Well, anyhow. <laughs> We don't want any of those things to happen. We don't. So heed these lessons. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know that a few preparations and evaluation of your party's limitations can help you enjoy a terrific outing with the people that you care about and maybe impart some skills to some of them that would serve them well in darker times. So let's see. I My limitation would be uh, steep hiking. Steep hiking. I don't want to steep hike. Because you run out of I do. Gas. I do. Yeah, I I think it's because we live at sea level. <laughs> I think that has something to do with it. That suddenly climbing up a mountain makes me really out of breath. Plus, I'm older now. We won't talk about that. But I'm also afraid of spraining my ankle when we're, you know, into Way the mountain. Yeah, three or four miles in. Falling, yeah. right. Uh, for me, I'm worried about falling. I, f- I feel like I'm a little bit of a klutz. I've always been a klutz. This is nothing new. So I know when we hike, you're really good about, you know, telling me you walk ahead of me if it's narrow and you tell, oh, honey, you know, there's some rocks here. Be careful. Step over here that you're always watching out for me. And I really appreciate it. But that would be one of my limitations. I would say I don't really want to hike up. I can camp, but just keep me kind of level. Uh. <laughs> don't make me climb. I I love the mountains and I love doing mountain hiking. And, yes. and even in the past, it was even when it was steep. Uh when I was younger, I used to we do have Charlie's. We have done we some have things. We have climbed some seriously steep. I mean, not when Mount I was, Everest. But, when I was you know. younger than that, I climbed Charlie's Bunyan and you some did. of the other uh, steeper, moderate to steep hikes in the, the Smokies, parts of the Appalachian Trail that a lot of people don't go on. That was, what, that was a, all I can describe Charlie's Bunyan is hairy. That's right. Parts <laughs> that of it a, are pretty hairy. A hairy trail. That there you go. Very scary. Well, anyhow, if you haven't been camping much, don't start by attempting to hike these things, and or the entire length of the Appalachian Trail. Start by hiking maybe the entire width of the Appalachian Trail. What do you think about that? Right. There That's you go. what we started off with, and work your way up from there. Begin by taking day trips to national parks, your nearby lake maybe. Set up a tent, make a campfire, see how it goes when you don't have to stay in the woods overnight. And once you have that under your belt, well, then you can start planning your overnight outings. Now, whatever type of camping that you do, always assess the capabilities and the general health of the people that are in your party, right? Children, elderly folk like us, well, we're going to determine the limits of your activities, or we should if you don't want to get in trouble. The more ambitious you are, the more likely the kids and the oldsters are not going to be able to handle it. And what you're going to end up with is injuries and some very irate people in the family. That's all I have to say about that. Now, an important first step to a safe camping trip is knowledge about the weather and terrain that you're going to be encountering. Now, if you don't know that what that's going to be, talk with park rangers, consult guidebooks, uh, check out online sources. There are going to be some specific issues that are going to be very, very important to know about. And they include things like, of course, the weather, which we just mentioned. You can find out what the weather report's going to be. Uh, the temperature range for the area and the elevation that you're going to be at. Uh, the amount of rain or snowfall that's usually expected at that time of year. Uh, trails and campsite facilities that are available. 
the availability of clean water. That's a very, very important. Even the clearest mountain stream may not be drinkable. It may have things like giardia or other kinds of parasites in it that can cause severe diarrhea, dehydration, things like that. You don't want to have to deal with that. Uh, plant, insect, or animal issues. Are there bears around? Are there, uh, is there a season where there are hornets all over the place? Who knows? Those kind of things. Try to figure out what's going on. Are there areas where poison ivy is predominant uh, in the ground cover or uh, as a vine? And, of course, it's important to know how to get help in an emergency. How, is, uh, how do you connect with park rangers and the people that might be able to help you if there is somebody lost or somebody that's, that's ill? Now, a very common error that campers and even survivalists make is not bringing the right clothing and equipment for the weather and terrain. If you haven't planned for the environment you're going to be camping in, you have made the environment your enemy, and believe me, it is a very formidable one. Although spring and fall have the most uncertainty with regards to temperatures and weather, you can encounter storms in any season. Always make sure you take enough clothing to allow layering so you can deal with the unpredictability of the season. That's so important. Now, if you're in high elevations, remember there, there's a wind chill factor that can make you hypothermic. If the temperature is 50 degrees but the wind chill factor is 30, you lose heat from your body as if it were 30 degrees below freezing. My gosh. So be aware that temperatures at night may be surprisingly cold. Now, in cold weather, of course, then you're going to want your family clothed in tightly woven water repellent materials for protection against the wind and, of course, getting wet. Wet and cold is no way to go through life. Wool, yeah, no right? kidding. <laughs> there you go, right? Wool holds okay, body. Okay, wait. This yes. brings up uh, this show that we watched, "The Naked and Afraid." Oh my gosh! Just for yes. the entertainment. <laughs> wow. I they have no education there, just entertainment. No, honestly, no. They have to be lying about the temperatures because we've seen it raining on these shows. These people have absolutely the bare minimum amount of shelter. We're talking about sticks and and palm leaves basically (laughs) and no clothes Mm -hmm. and they they'll say it's 46 degrees or 52 degrees now everyone knows if you're naked and wet and it's that temperature you're going to freeze to death and somehow they make it through eight or ten hours overnight in these freezing cold temperatures i know there's no way it's actually that cold i remember once we watched it was um on an island that we used to go to a lot exuma right bahamas and they said it was i don't know 50 something on the island i don't think it ever goes down there has probably never been that cold in exuma because it's pretty close to the equator it's it's getting there so it's kind of a consistent temperature there's not a lot of variation there right. i guess you can get cold by being in the sea breeze so to speak i don't know maybe and this from was the a wind from the ocean wind chill factor temperature or, that yes. they're doing they're kind Most of likely. pushing that a little bit yeah but i think anyway, they can never uh, that cold. adjust the statistics to make yeah. it match make it more interesting <laughs> Right? Most likely that's what they do. Have to be. Well, of course, wool holds body heat better than cotton does. You're not going to find much wool on Exuma, but you can find you can certainly take it with you on your camping trip. There you and go. Add and remove layers as you need to. Now, of course, it's the summer right now, so if you're at the seashore, at the lakefront, and it's summer, your main problem is going to be more likely to be burns and heat exhaustion. 
Make sure your family members wear sunscreen. Of course, when you wear sunscreen, you always have to put it on at least 15 minutes before you go out in the sun to allow it to be absorbed. And you have to reapply it on and off throughout the day, especially if you spend time in the water. Make sure that you wear hats. Uh, these wide-brim hats are very, uh, are very good. Uh, light cotton fabrics. Plan strenuous activities, mostly for the mornings when it's cooler or maybe maybe sundown if that if that's possible. In, in any type of weather, you got to keep everybody well hydrated. That is so important. Dehydration causes more rapid deterioration in physical condition than just about anything and in just about any type of stressful situation. So allow a pint of fluid per hour, perhaps, if you're going to be active. The most important item of clothing is, in my opinion, your shoes. Your shoes. If you got the wrong shoes for the outing, you are going to regret it. I guarantee you are in the woods. You have to have the right soles. You have to have high tops, for example, that you can fit your pants legs into so you don't wind up getting bitten by ticks. If you go with a lighter shoe in hot weather, well, that's fine, but make sure that you have solid soles on that shoe. Vibram is a good bet, V-I-B-R-A-M, look for that. Now, of course, choosing the right clothing is not just for protection against the weather. If you have kids that wear bright colors, and then you'll have an easier time keeping track of where they are. Now, you mentioned shoes, but what about socks, Dr. Bones? Yes, socks probably. A lot of some people put two layers, a sock liner and and regular socks, and maybe that will help prevent blisters in some cases. Some people feel very, very strongly about that. I, I used to do that with uh, skiing. We had a couple of pairs of socks that we put on, what, a Absolutely. light a liner and, and a heavier sock. Absolutely. That's right. Long pants and sleeves uh, will give you protection against insect bites that can transmit disease, such as Lyme disease uh, caused by ticks. We'll be talking about that a little later on in the show. Now, of course, a real estate agent's motto is location, location, location. And boy, it's also true when it comes to camping. Scout your prospective campsite. Check it out first. Look for broken glass, other garbage that can pose a hazard. may not be where you want to be. Um, You can't depend on other campers to pick up after themselves. So make sure that you check out the place that you're going to want to be hanging out at. Uh, look for evidence of animals or insects nearby. Is there a hornet's nest nearby? Is there a beehive? Bear, bear tracks. Are there bear tracks or bear <laughs> droppings nearby? Oh, Very my gosh. common in the Smoky Mountain yeah. National Park, That's I will right. tell you. Yeah, there are lots of bears Big there. Big population. That's right. Advise the children to stay away from any animals. I mean, of course, the bears, but even little cute fuzzy chipmunks can bite you, so just beware. Uh, of course, if there are berry bushes nearby, you can bet that it's on the menu for animals and, and including bears so watch out for that and i despite that those pretty berries there are probably not good for you to eat birds and animals remember can eat things that aren't always safe for humans As a matter of fact deer can eat poison ivy without any problem whatsoever but humans obviously gosh i can't imagine that you eating that stuff it's no. bad enough touching it absolutely and i can tell you that from personal <laughs> yes personal serious experience. Sad, sad personal experience. experience that's right make sure you learn to identify plants like that and poisonous plants that are in your environment and that you should avoid like poison ivy poison oak sumac things like that show your kids pictures of these plants so they can steer clear of them remember the old adage that's leaves of three let it be so if you see a 
something that comes in leaves of three, then try not to get it on your skin. Felsnaphtha soap, that is especially effective in removing toxic resin from clothes and skin. If you suspect exposure, that's F-E-L-S hyphen N-A-P-T-H-A. Naphtha, right. Uh, that can be found, by the way, in Walmart in the package that it's probably been in for the past, I don't know, 140 years, 150 years. Yes, yes. We have Life magazines from the 1930s that advertise Felsnafta as a popular laundry detergent soap. Yes. So what you need to do, if you want to prevent exposure, if you know you're going to be in an area where you will be seeing this or touching this or being in contact with it, like we used to go when I was a child, hunt, uh, hunt, pick, hunt, hunt if you're a child, but it's actually picking wild blackberries. And of course, these poisonous bushes and everything were right around there. So wash yourself. You could possibly prevent. And then when you're done, shave some of that off, wash your clothes, and then take a bath. Get it off. Absolutely. Now, with regards to fires, make sure you build your fires in established fire pits away from dry brush. In drought conditions, remember, you probably should be using one of those portable stoves instead of maybe a rocket stove or, or some of those brands. What's the Echo Zoom was another oh, stove. Oh, yeah, that's another yep, one. That's right. Uh, those, those are good stoves that are, are useful and won't have just a fire floating, just flying around all over the place and setting leave, the dry leaves on fire. Uh, children, by the way, are fascinated by fire, so watch them closely. You're going to be dealing with a lot of burn injuries. Food, especially cooked food, should be hung in trees in such a fashion that animals can't access it. Remember that animals are drawn to food odors, so use resealable plastic containers if you can get them. Now, if you camp near a water source, realize that even the clearest mountain stream may have parasites, so water sterilization, basic to any outdoor outing. Of course, there are water sterilization tablets that serve this purpose. Bleach will do well, a little bit of bleach. Uh, certainly boiling water, very useful. You might carry a portable filter like the Life Straw or the Mini Sawyer. You can check these out on our store at store.doomandbloom.net. These are light, effective, add pretty much nothing to your uh, backpack, but they will get rid of just about every pathogen that is common in water in, for, in national parks in the backcountry. Now, few people can look back to their childhood and not remember a time when they lost their bearings, got a little bit lost, and your kids should always be aware of landmarks near the camp or on trail. So what you need to do is to make sure you show them what the landmarks are near the trail or near the, your campsite so they can always make their way back to it. It's a great skill to teach the youngsters to be situationally aware that way. And, of course, you might teach them how to use a compass, too. That's, I think, very useful, and give them one to have uh, on them at all times. Now, another good thing to give each kid is a loud whistle that they can blow if you get separated. Three blasts is a universal signal for help. If lost, the kids make sure they stay in a secure spot. Don't have them roaming around blowing whistles, and you're roaming around blowing whistles and trying to reach each other, have one, have the kids stay put. So tell them to do that, you know, when you're telling them how to plan in case they get lost. Of course, if you have cell phone service where you are, well, there you go. There's your option. Now, bug bites 
Even kids in protective clothing still wind up with insect bites, so remember to carry antihistamines like Benadryl, sting relief pads, calamine lotion to deal with allergic reactions. You might consider asking your doctor for one of those prescription EpiPens. They're sort of expensive, but very useful in case there's a very major severe allergic reaction to a toxin from an insect bite or maybe poison ivy or something like that. These are useful things to have, and they're meant to be used by the average citizen. Citronella-based products, also helpful. You can put it on clothing. I'd rather put it on clothing than skin because it seems to absorb too easily on skin. You just have to keep continually put it, put it on skin. That is something you can do. But putting it on clothing is probably a good idea as well. Uh, rep repellents for the skin that w would contain something like DEET, D-E-E-T, that's also useful, or oil of lemon eucalyptus, that's also good. These things are probably not good for kids that are less than two years old though don't forget to inspect daily for ticks for that uh, bullseye pattern rash you sometimes see in lyme disease and i mean it when i say daily because if you remove the tick in the first 24 hours you rarely will actually contract the disease the things that you're going to need for your first aid kit you can take a look at our compact kit that's the one i would recommend for the family camping trip the compact kit is our kit uh, on the store that i think would be perfect for that that contains things like antiseptics to clean wounds, iodine pads, bandages of different types and sizes, butterfly bandages, roller gauze, pads like ABD pads, moleskin for blisters, ace wraps, cold packs to reduce swelling, splints. Uh, you can get a 36-inch splint to add to the compact kit. Burn gel and nonstick dressings like Telfa pads, a thermometer, nitrile gloves are very useful. Remember, people are allergic, a lot, some people are allergic to latex. Bandanas or triangular bandages with safety pins. They serve as slings. Bandage scissors to open up uh, clothing, uh, to cut open clothing so you can see the extent of a wound. Tweezers to remove ticks and splinters. Uh, topical antibiotic cream and some medicines like Benadryl, I mentioned that. Um, ibuprofen, Tylenol, aspirin, hydrocortisone cream, not a bad idea. These are some of the things that are useful for you to have in your pack. Now your kit may have some addition, additional items to handle special problems that members of the family have. Maybe diabetics might need some extra insulin or they may need, for example, maybe some raw honey in case they become hypoglycemic. So take those items that we just mentioned and add more to customize the kit for your specific needs. These are important for you to make sure that you're dealing with the issues that your family is likely to have. Uh, in the most important thing in an emergency, stay calm. You're armed with the materials you packed in your first aid kit. Use them, act quickly, wash wounds thoroughly, and have a plan of action. That's important. Now, the great outdoors is a wonderful place. Has risks, though, not just falling off a cliff or drowning in the ocean, but the risk of infectious disease. And one that has both short and long-term effects is Lyme disease, which is spread through the bites of ticks infected with a bacterium. That bacterium is called Borrelia burgdorferi. Borrelia burgdorferi. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Say that three times fast. I know, right? Lyme disease can be found on both coasts, really anywhere that a black-legged or a western black-legged tick species exists. They're all over the place. Most of the time, juvenile ticks called nymphs are the ones that actually transmit the disease. They're so tiny, they're difficult to see. The adults can transmit the disease too, but you can see they're bigger. You can see them and eliminate them earlier and more often than 
you would a tiny, tiny, tiny nymph. Uh, Lyme disease transmission is usually a process, as I mentioned before, it takes about 24 to 48 hours, so the faster you find the tick, less likely you'll get the disease. That you'll, By the way, we have videos on the subject at Dr. Bone's Nurse Amy channel on YouTube. Lyme disease has a variety of signs and symptoms, some of which are seen early, say the first two or three weeks, and others that occur over a period of months. The infection is based on recognizing these symptoms. That's not always easy, and even trained medical professionals often miss the diagnosis. Typical early symptoms, fever, headache, fatigue, flu-like symptoms, and then that skin rash called erythema migrans, which looks like a bullseye that spreads out over time. So each day the, the bullseye looks a little bit bigger, and that's how you can identify it in about 60% of cases, maybe 70 if left untreated, you progress to a worse situation uh, that is chronic Lyme disease, and all sorts of things happen. Infection spreads to joints, spreads to the heart, to the nervous system. You might see issues with swollen knees, other, other joints, uh, loss of muscle tone in the face, palpitations, irregular heartbeats, shortness of breath, nerve pain, numbness, memory loss. Gosh, every case is Sounds different. horrible. Terrible. Oh, my god! It's easier to prevent it than to treat it. Use insect repellent like DEET, lemon eucalyptus. Apply pesticides like permethrin to clothing. Watch what you're brushing against on the trail and look for and remove ticks ASAP. Remember, antibiotics can kill the microbe that cause it. The antibiotics that are commonly used include antibiotics that are available in aquatic, in aquatic and avian form, things like doxycycline, also known as bird biotic, 100 milligrams twice a day orally, and amoxicillin fish box, 500 milligrams three times a day orally for about 7 to 14 days. This is a good option for you. Other antibiotic options, if you're allergic to either of those, include things like azithromycin, z erythromycin, uh, fish mycin. Remember that it's very important if you're going to expect a full recovery Early treatment is the key. Speaking of antibiotics, they're a wise addition to any survival medicine cabinet. Many infections that are considered minor today can become life-threatening without access to these microbe-killing drugs. When, however, do you use them? Which ones are appropriate for the illness that you're treating? Are there side effects? Are there other factors and considerations that should be taken into account? Now, take one that we just mentioned, doxycycline. This is one of the antibiotics on the World Health Organization's at WHO, their list of essential medicines. How about that? It's on the list of essential medicines for WHO, WHO, World Health Organization. Doxycycline is a synthetic antibiotic. It's a member of the tetracycline family, the first member of which was discovered, gosh, in the late 1940s. Uh, it's effective against a wide variety of bacteria, many of which you can't pronounce, like Haemophilus influenzae or Streptococcus pneumoniae and Mycoplasma <laughs> pneumoniae, all, all sorts of other ones. And there's some that, and others that you've heard of, like maybe chlamydia or gonorrhea. Now, in these days of generic drugs, you've heard the name doxycycline, but you should know that is marketed under, well, various names by different drug companies, including names like Vibratabs, Vibramycin, lots of different terms for this particular medicine. Like many human antibiotics, it has a veterinary equivalent known as bird biotic. We talked about that. Birds get a lot of disease, by the way, that are similar to humans. People get the bird flu if their job involves working with poultry, for example. Um, okay, well, th that's not a great example because 
antibiotics don't kill viruses. Bird flu is a virus. Maybe a better example might be the sexually transmitted disease chlamydia. Believe it or not, birds get chlamydia and doxycycline can treat it. But don't ask me how a bird gets it or how know, you would, right? or how you would get it from a bird. Yeah. Goodness knows. Now, one good thing about doxycycline is that it doesn't cause problems for people that are allergic to penicillin since uh, it's a member of the tetracycline family. It's perfectly acceptable for use in people that are allergic to penicillin. Antibiotics work in mysterious ways, different ways, previous <laughs> ways. We know several ways. They kill the bacteria entire, directly by, let's say, <clears throat> destroying the cell wall. Uh, it can stop the process by which it feeds, so to speak. Uh, it can stop the process from repairing itself. You know, your body repairs itself every day, right? And it can stop the body, the b- bacteria, from repairing itself. And it can work like doxycycline does. Doxycycline works by inhibiting the production of bacterial proteins that are necessary for the bacteria to reproduce. So therefore, no reproduction, no multiplication, eventually the population of the bacteria dwindles to the point that you are no longer ill, that you feel better. And indeed, down to the point of extinction, the bacteria is not yours. Doxycycline is so versatile, we call it a broad spectrum drug in that it deals with a lot of different types of bacteria and its indications include all sorts of different things, E. coli infections, Shigella, Enterobacter infections that cause diarrhea, Chlamydia and gonorrhea, sexually transmitted diseases, Lyme disease, we mentioned that. Uh, It's uh, relative Rocky Mountain spotted fever, also uh, passed by a tick. Uh, It can even affect and and cure previously pandemic diseases like cholera, plague, anthrax. It can do damage to bacteria that that cause common things like gum disease, gingivitis, uh, boils, folliculitis, acne, really common, common things. Also is used to deal with some pneumonias, some urinary tract infections, some upper respiratory infections, MRSA infections, methicillin-resistant staph, which has been such a problem. It can help prevent malaria, and it actually kills some parasitic worms, not by killing worms themselves, by killing bacteria in the parasite, wor- parasitic worms' guts that they need to survive. Wow. So it is a pretty useful item to have in your survival medicine cabinet. Now, every drug, of course, has its side effects and reasons not to use it, uh, also known as contraindications, and doxycycline is no different. Now, you can use doxycycline in children for specific things like Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Otherwise, you are not to use doxycycline for kids under the age of eight because it has a tendency to discolor the teeth of children. It has not been approved for use during pregnancy. It passes into the milk of breastfeeding mothers, so you cannot or you should not use it in those circumstances. Uh, People with kidney disease, liver disease shouldn't take it either. And, if, of course, if you're allergic to any medicines in the tetracycline family, well, that's another good reason to avoid taking doxycycline. The recommended dosage for doxycycline for most types of bacterial infections in adults is 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams per day for about 7 to 14 days. For long-term or more serious infections, treatment can be carried on for a longer time. Kids, in the rare case you'll use this drug for them, you'd use about 1 to 2 milligrams per pound of body weight a day. Now, for major risk diseases like 
anthrax, let's say, the treatment is prolonged. It's not just two weeks or one week. It is up to 60 days. And the doses vary as well, depending on what it is that you're treating. So these, it's, it's a complex thing. You have to learn about each individual uh, indication for an antibiotic. Now, what should you avoid while, while you're taking doxycycline? Don't take things like iron supplements or vitamins, calcium supplements, antacids, laxatives. Within two hours before or, take, or after taking doxycycline, all of these can make you sick in one way or another. Other precautions, avoid taking other antibiotics with doxycycline unless your doctor wants you to. Uh, avoid exposure to sunlight or tanning beds. Doxycycline actually makes you sunburn more easily. Wear protective clothing. Use sunscreen uh, of... Um, hats. Hats, right. Wide-brim hats. Exactly. would be useful <laughs> when you're outdoors. Now, you may have heard the drugs in the tetracycline family have been reported to cause kidney toxicity when they expire. So if you use expired tetracycline, for example, there is a, it was a big story there that it caused these kinds of toxicities in, in some cases. This uh, was back in the 1960s, shortly after its introduction, and people, especially kids, developed kidney dysfunction after receiving outdated drugs. Now, in these cases, the cause was found to be due to a degradation product of the drug that was called anhydro-4-epitetracycline. Now, this no longer seems to be an issue because there's a new formulation that substitutes a major ingredient in its production, and it doesn't produce that particular degradation product, or at least in as much quantity, and that's from a 1991 report from the World Health Organization, not just from me. Kidney issues are now rare in patients who take tetracycline or doxycycline, uh, and, and which is also a member of the family, as long as you, they started out with normal renal function. If you have kidney failure, you probably shouldn't take doxycycline. So this is something that is a big issue. Now, expired medicines, a shortage of doxycycline occurred a few years ago when the military brought up bought up tons of doxycycline because of an anthrax scare. And the question was, well, I can't get new doxycycline, but I need it. What can I use this expired doxycycline? Well, the FDA decided because of the shortage to issue something called an emergency use authorization. And these are given when important medicines aren't available. And that's exactly what happened with doxycycline so the government issued an emergency use authorization for the drug that says you could use it even if it was several years expired. Wow. Now, here's a mystery. Despite the government giving this emergency use authorization, saying you could use it even if it expired, if you go to drugs.com, it'll still tell you to throw away expired doxycycline because of rare claims that it can cause damage to your kidneys. To me, it seems a little hypocritical Unless somebody... No, I'll tell you what happened. They've made that secret. I don't think you can even find those announcements anymore. The government's keeping those under wraps. Well, that's a good question. I don't believe you can read them anymore. The emergency use, use authorization for Yeah, I was just going to look that up. Doxycycline. Emergency use authorization, authorization. for doxycycline. Well, see that... if they actually put it out or if you now need a password to actually read it. Well, here we go. It was... Authorization of emergency use. Yeah, here it has a number. It oh, has so you a number. can read it? Okay, yeah, I see it, actually. Yep, sure Good. Enough. It was Then it was the SLEP, the Shelf Life Extension Program. Remember they, they made exactly. that secret? 
exactly. You need a, a legal or a .gov password and sign in for that. Now, I do want to say that in general, if you if the, in normal times where you can get to a medical provider that can write you a prescription for fresh doxycycline, I think that you should use that. I would much prefer that you use those medicines rather than expired medicines, but in a survival, you remember that we write about survive and talk about survival topics, situations where they're not making this stuff anymore, and whatever you happen to have is all you're ever going to have. So that's what we're talking about. And even though there's emergency use authorizations for these, by the way, that one has expired now that there's no longer a shortage of doxycycline on the market. They were re-upping them, so I have to look and see. Uh, yeah, I think it ended up being up to 10 years. Now, if you have doxycycline in your medical supplies after a major disaster and somebody has an infection, you got to make that decision. Am I going to use expired doxycycline? Right. I mean, if you have a infection that's serious, can be cured with doxycycline, you've got doxycycline, but it's beyond the expiration date. And they're never going to make this stuff anymore because some disaster has happened. What are you going to do? Withhold it? Because the provisional government of new... Uh, new numerica says that you can't use it. Come on. Right. <laughs> I, you're going to use it because you're going to want to save that person. Even if the medicine is at, not at 100% potency, it probably will have some effect. Now, it's still, like I said, in normal times, use fresh medicines. Now, in a survival setting, you're going to be most likely using doxycycline to deal with infections causing diarrheal disease and dehydration. Because water sterilization, bad water is going to cause the most, I think, unnecessary deaths in times of trouble. And remember that you always have to start off with hydration and symptomatic relief, uh, anti-diarrheals, if there aren't a lot of other symptoms. It's probably going to go away on its own, by the way. We just keep giving them clean water and keep them hydrated. Uh, but, of course... If you have somebody who has a prolonged diarrhea lasting more than three days or diarrhea with high fevers or other kind of issue, well, you might have to use an antibiotic. The problem is that the risk of a lot of the antibiotics is their side effects, and side effects are often uh, including diarrhea. So this is something that's important for you to know, that sometimes medicines may worsen a situation instead of making it better. You just have to be careful. Now, how should you take doxycycline? You take it with a full glass of water and drink plenty of liquids while you're taking the medicine. Most brands of doxycycline can be taken with food or milk if the medicine upsets your stomach. And different brands of doxycycline will have different instructions about that with regards to food and milk, by the way. You can open a regular capsule or break up a regular tablet and sprinkle the medicine into a spoonful of applesauce to make swallowing easier. If you have somebody who has trouble swallowing or in the rare case where it may be used on a child. Uh, and as a matter of fact, by the way, that's how the veterinary equivalent of doxycycline comes these days. It comes in a powder. I think they were concerned that it was looking too identical to the actual human version. So now they know. changed it. It just made it a powder. I don't know why they made that decision. But in any case, it's still 100 milligrams of doxycycline just happens to be in a powder. If you use that, make sure you drink it all up. Don't save any for later so you, so you get the entire dose. If you have doxycycline in a delayed release version, don't crush, break, or open 
a delayed release capsule or tablet. That one is not one that you need that you should be crushing. Uh, you want to swallow that pill whole in order to get the delayed release effect of it. If, if not, you might wind up getting the entire effect immediately, right. and it might be too much <clears throat> medicine for you at the present time. There are a lot of different medicines, by the way, that are like that. So if you have delayed release medicine for diabetes or delayed release medicine for high blood pressure, things like that, then you always take it whole as directed. You know, Don't chop it up. Don't crush it. That is something that you should not do. Now, to prevent malaria with doxycycline, I want you to start taking the medicine one. If you're heading for the tropics, start taking the medicine one or two days before entering any area where malaria is a common disease. If you continue taking the medicine every day during your stay and for at least four weeks after you leave the area, then you should be okay. Of course, as with any mosquito-borne illness, use protective clothing, insect repellents. If you have mosquito netting, you can put that around your bed so that you can further prevent mosquito bites that can cause malaria. So, well, I think that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was trying to get some details, but this is... The, the details that I'm looking for are buried in, in details. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whoever's writing this stuff on this website, Office of the Federal Register, is... Uh, oh, yeah. It's almost unreadable. Holy moly. Right? Yep. I totally understand. It's like understand. the Obama Health Care Act. What was uh, yeah. it like? The, Nancy Pelosi said... 2,700 we'll, we'll pages or something. read it after we pass it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that. Well, the bottom line is that in, some, in many cases with expired drugs, you can use them without growing a horn in the middle of your forehead. It's and, true. And so that's the thing. Now, of course, it's not the best policy, but, you know, in times of trouble where they're just not that, that medicine just is no longer available, well, you might just have to deal with what you got. That's really the medic's motto, right? Mm -hmm. Do what you can with what you have, that's where right. you are. Hey, you know, we're proud to be part of the expert council for our good friend Jack Spierko's survival podcast, one of the great granddaddies of preparedness podcasting probably over about 3,000 different episodes at this point and we receive a question from one of his listeners who also is one of our listeners relating to the issue of excessive vomiting during pregnancy that is actually a known condition called hyperemesis occurs in a certain percentage of all pregnant women and of course some vomiting and nausea occurs in almost all pregnant women but severe nausea and vomiting where it causes you to get dehydrated, we lose weight. That's something that can be very, very dangerous. So here we have our discussion of this situation for your listening pleasure. Today's question for the expert counsel is from John from Missouri who asks, what are ways of dealing with severe pregnancy nausea above and beyond doctor's meds? Wife and I are currently expecting 16 weeks along, and she's been dealing with constant and severe nausea. She's on three different anti-nausea medicines and still throwing up once a day or more. As the pregnancy has progressed, it's gotten worse. She has asthma. I'm truly worried that between the two might cause major complications. We've had one miscarriage already. I fear for her life and the life of our child. Two trips to the emergency room and two extra appointments with her lady doc. 
We're using ginger and an adjustable base bed, but is there anything more we can do? Seeking your wise counsel, John from Missouri. John, nausea and vomiting during pregnancy are common symptoms, but a small percentage of women have a severe version known as hyperemesis gravidarum. No one's sure what causes hyperemesis in 3% of human pregnancies, but it's been in the medical literature for centuries. The good news for your wife is that the majority of women with this problem will be better by, say, maybe 20 weeks or so, although a small percentage continue to have some nausea and vomiting throughout the pregnancy. The main thing that's important for you to monitor is her weight gain and her hydration status. If she's just vomiting once a day on the current medications, hopefully that means that she's not terribly dehydrated, not losing a lot of weight. The worst cases of hyperemesis may vomit a dozen times a day or more and show significant weight loss. You didn't mention what medicines that the obstetrician has your wife on, but there are a number that are known to decrease the severity and frequency of vomiting. I can't say much, however, about what I would add without knowing this information. I do think it's important to consult with your asthma doctor and the obstetrician to make sure that the interaction of asthma and vomiting meds are safe. Now, from an alternative standpoint, I can tell you that pressure points on the inside of the wrist actually have some scientific data that say they may make a difference in women's vomiting during pregnancy. Some women report improvement also with methods like acupuncture and hypnosis, although the hard data is sort of difficult to find. In the worst cases, outpatient or home intravenous hydration should be offered to you as an option. This is a type of therapy that can be done at home in many cases and will assure adequate fluid intake. If weight loss is an issue, IV feeding can also be given for a period of time until your wife improves. Now, dietary modification in patients with nausea and vomiting may also make a difference. Eat frequent small meals when hungry, regardless of whether it's normal mealtime or not. Avoid fatty or spicy foods that have strong aromas. Increase intake of bland or dry foods like plain toast. Crackers in the morning may be helpful, maybe jello, maybe chicken broth. Increase the intake of carbonated beverages like ginger ale. And some people note improvement of nausea and vomiting just by decreasing activity and increase the amount of rest. Sometimes being outside where kitchen or pet odors may be less strong might help. Herbal treatment includes things like ginger, peppermint, lemon, grapefruit, avocado, bland carbohydrates like rice. And from a vitamin standpoint, food containing B6 is thought to be a natural way to treat nausea. John, it's important to relay your concerns in no uncertain terms to the doctor. Ask specifically what methods haven't been tried yet that might help. With any luck, your wife will be through this phase of her pregnancy soon, and you'll have a healthy mother and baby at the end. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, besides subscribing to doomandbloom.net's newsletter and getting a copy of our Survival Medicine Handbook, don't forget to check out our entire line of medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. That's all we have for this week's episode of the Survival Medicine Hour. Say goodbye, kitty pie. Bye-bye. We'll be back next week. <laughs> Bye now. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. <laughs>